0: I'm going to, I tell you what, we're going to have some fun today. I'm going to give you a quiz. This is a money quiz today. Are you guys ready back there? And and I've got 10 questions. And what I want you to do, take your notes out. You've got got some uh, message notes there. And I just want you to keep tabs on how many of these questions you get right. So the first question is this, what is cash? Something your dad never has, uh, money in the bank, a country singer that dresses in black, money that can be spent right away. Pick one right now. The answer is money that can be spent right away. If you got that right, make a mark here. Next, governments produce coins in a place called a what? Don't be telling people. And whoever said that's wrong anyway. It is called a mint. Number three, what is the science of coins called? You've got three things there. And the answer is numismatics. Okay, how we doing? Number four, which of the following metals is no longer used for making coins? And the answer is 10. All right. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, come on, people. Number five, which of these U.S. coins has a president that faces to the right? Tough one. It's the penny. (laughs) Number six, what is the official term for the head side of the coin? The front, sunny side (laughs) up, (laughs) IPS or obverse? And the answer is obverse. Number seven, in the same mode. What is the official term for the tail side of the coin? Uh, Well, y'all quit talking. This is a test. And it is called the reverse, right? Number eight, the term E Pluribus Unum represents what? And the answer is the original 13 colonies. Number nine, what is the life expectancy of a modern U.S. $1 bill? For some of you, it's just a couple days, but (laughs) the answer is 5.8 years. And our last, this is your last chance to get one right. Why do we call a dollar a buck? Dollars were once made from deer skin. Okay. The answer is, in frontier days, deer pelt was worth a dollar. Okay. I took the test. The first time I took it, I got six out of nine. Anybody get at least six? Raise your hand. Okay. The second time I took it, I still missed one. Um, (laughs) Who got more than six? Who got seven? Who got eight? Who got nine? Anybody? Bryce, you got nine. Who got, anybody get 10? Okay, you know what this all means? It means absolutely nothing. It has nothing to do (laughs) with anything. I just found the thing and thought, let's, let's do this. Um, but I am going to talk about money today, and I'm going to talk about money next week and the week after, and the reason is this, money's a big deal. It's a really big deal. A, you think about money all the time, and every, I doubt if there's a day in your life you don't have some thought about money. And something that big, some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, I just brought some people to church. It's the first time they've ever come here, and Greg, you're talking about money. And yeah, that's a bummer. Um, I am, because it's so huge to us, and the Bible has a lot to say about money. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about this, um, and I, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think you're going to, not like this, I think you 're going to learn a lot. I think there 's a, a lot that we all can learn as it relates to money one of the One of the first people, one of the first ministers who ever talked about money in the history that we know of outside of what we read in the New Testament was a man by the name of John Wesley and for those of you who know your your um, church history john Wesley he was um, uh, a guy that was ministering in the 1700s. He was the kind of the catalyst behind this huge revival in Europe and America called the Great Awakening. And uh, he was just an amazing man. And as he began to teach the Bible, he realized that the Bible had a lot to say about money and about finances. And he was a, 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 a pastor, a minister to just the common man, the, the, the person on the street. And something began to happen to people as he began teaching them the principles of scripture. Scripture. They began to get wealthy. These were typically people living in poverty. And as they began to apply biblical principles in their life, they began to accumulate money. They, they, they got more money than they knew what to do with. And so John Wesley was like, I've got to be able to teach them what to do with this money and how to handle money because we don't typically have a plan for money. And what does God have to say about this? And it's really interesting. John Wesley, again, was in the 1700s. Over the course of his lifetime, he accumulated it or or made $30 million. Can you imagine what that was like or what that would be like in today's economy. So if he made 30 million dollars in the 1700s, it was like off the charts. And I'm going to come back to that at some point. But he began teaching out of the the Sermon on the Mount, mount, the the passages that we read about in Matthew uh, 5, 6, and 7. He pulled this verse out and he began to build his ministry around it, built his life, and began to, ch- to challenge people with these uh, passages out of Matthew 6. It says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is... There the desires of your heart will also be. The one thing that John Wesley challenges people with, and it's a question that I put in your notes today, is this. How do you get more without ending up with less? How do you get more without ending up with less? And as I get into this today, I think you're going to understand what kind of a huge question this really is. It's hard to understand, but my, my education in this began at a really young age. I was, I was just a, a child, and I, I remember going down to, uh, my, my parents' bedroom was on the lower level of our house, and I went down to the, the bedroom, and I was talking to my father, and while I was talking, he um, opened up the dresser drawer of, of, of the chest of drawers, and and. He was rummaging around in there, and he pulls out this old, old wallet. And while we're talking, it had nothing to do with what we were talking about, he opened up his other wallet, and he took out cash. Everything was cash in these days. There were no checking accounts, and maybe there were, but he didn't have any. And he would take out cash, and he would stuff it in this old wallet. Well, for a kid who's making 10 cents a week in an allowance, uh, that was seeing all this cash was just mesmerizing to me so I'm like dad what are you doing what is that where'd you get all that money and um, he goes well this is my tithe wallet he said every time I get paid I take out my tithe and I put it in this wallet and then on Sundays I take it out and take it to church and and give it to God and and he said You know, it's the same principle that you have when I give you your allowance. There's a reason why I give you 10 pennies. And then you have to take one of the pennies and and give it to God. And I never did like that deal, um, but it was in our house, it was expected. And so we just did it. When a tooth fairy would come uh, and take one of your teeth, um, I got another dime but it was 10 pennies and even the tooth fairy t- or tooth took a dime or took a penny it was it was just like a, this thing was against me and but i was just i never forgot that moment and sometimes when my dad wasn't around i would go down and check the wallet and i would see that he had all these and it was all mostly 1 dollar bills and i would see that he had all this money in there and I'm like oh my heavens you know just I was just enamored by the money and then on Mondays I would check and it was always empty because my dad had taken the tithe to the church and I never forgot that I didn't understand it at the time but today I want to tell you a little bit about what I've learned and I'm going to um, do this by talking about some lies in fact, for the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about lies that we trust. Lies that we trust. So, like everything in our world, we're usually at the center. Now, there's a different way to think. We're going to be talking about this also for the next three weeks. And I'm, going to, I'm just going to give you... Well, let me just tell you, here's what, here's we tend to live here. This is where we start our life. And I would guess that most of the battles and controversies that we have with our own self is all about this. When, when, when we're at the center of our world, We have a lot of challenges and discipling, becoming a disciple of Jesus is trying to make this transition from here to where Jesus is the center of our life. And I can tell you, you know, I've been doing this a long time and there are a few things in my life that are still over here that I'm working on. I don't have this all together yet, but hopefully this money thing is something that I've got my head wrapped around because I believe that it is, it is like one of the most fundamental things that we need to learn. So here, is, here are a couple of the things that we lie about to ourselves. First of all, it's this. Money is mine. My money is mine. Here's another lie. My money is for me. And finally, the third lie that we tell ourselves is this, money makes me happy. I don't know if you subscribe to uh, Inc. Magazine, anybody here, you know, that was on the front cover of uh, Inc. Magazine, does money make you happy? And the answer that they gave was absolutely not. Um, But I want to deal today with the first lie, money is mine, because when we move from here to here in our lives the ownership of money changes and if you're a follower of Christ now if you if you don't have a relationship with Jesus i get this i understand that that you know and i'm going to come back to you after a while because if this is your first time in a church or you've never heard anything like this or or you're just not here you can put anything here and, and it still affects your life. Relationships. You can put problems. You can put career. Whatever it is, all the, we try to do something with, with this, these lies, in everything in our lives. So, over here, we're going to start with this premise. Money is God's. Our money is God's. Anybody have any cash today? If you have cash, raise your hand. Hmm. Come on, some of you are slow to put your hand up. Who's got cash? Karen, you have cash. Um. How much cash do you have? Twenty? Is that all you got? Give me, give me what, give me what you got there. That's it. Oh, oh, there's more. <laughs> 25. You want to keep looking or sh- are we okay? Oh, it is 30. Oh, it's a good thing this is God's. Um, let me, I want to talk to you about this. $30. Thank you, Karen. Um, I want to tell you about cash for a little bit. There's some, there are two things. In fact, you can write this down. This is not in your notes. Um, There are two things, two components of cash and money in general. First of all, money is a particle. It, in this case, it's, it's paper. It's a particle. And, and so it's an object in some cultures. It could be a goat or a blanket or whatever is used for trade in the United States. It's, it's cash. It's, it's, it's paper. And in what Jesus said about where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, he teaches us that this is a thermometer. He teaches us that if you want to know where you are spiritually, take a look at how you think about money. What is it that you think about money? How is it that you, how, whose money is it? Uh, does it make you happy? What's it for? Who's it for? How do you look at money? And and Jesus said, if you want to know where your heart is, take a look at this in your life. So I would say today, the first thing you need to look at is, what's my attitude about money? Whose is it? What's it for? Will it make me happy? Are the things that I'm thinking about with money really the right things to be thinking about? That's the first thing. But money is something else. And... It's a little hard to explain, but money is energy. It has an energy all its own. It, it, in fact, the Bible says, but the Bible gives it a different name, it, and, it, and it has to do with a perverted energy. It's called mammon. It's it's like a god. It, it's like a, a spirit. So there's something besides just the paper or the goat or the blanket, there's there's an energy about money. And so the principle works like this. This is something that I have learned. If I look at the thermometer and I, I discover that my heart's messed up, that's so, you know, I can trust God with my problems, with my sin, with my failure, with my guilt, my shame. I can give him all of that. I can even trust God with, you know, my boss who's nasty or whatever, you know. I, but money? Do I trust God with money? Almost said my money. Can I do that? So that's a good thermometer, but if you want to change your heart, you can lead off with money. Because if you know that things are out of order in your life, if you're buying into this lie, if you're buying into this lie or this lie, you can literally put money into another place, into a God place. And what will happen is your heart will change. So it's not just a thermometer, it becomes, it becomes a catalyst to change. Karen, thank you so much. <laughs> no, I'm joking, <laughs> let me give you your money back. It's not yours anyway, <laughs> deal with that. <laughs> okay. Um, So, I wanna read something out of the book of Acts. It's a story of Moses, and it's in chapter seven. Now Moses was an Old Testament guy, but in chapter seven of the book of Acts, we see something, it's kind of the cliff notes of the life of Moses, and um, it, it, sh- it breaks Moses' lifetime into, four, or into three 40-year segments. And in those 40-year segments, you're going to see yourself. You're going to see how you live. And, and I hope that you get to the last segment, um, and I hope it doesn't take three sections of 40 years because you may not live that long. But I'm, let me read this, and I think you're going to understand where we're going. Acts 7, verse 20 says, um, At that time, Moses was born. He, this is going back in history, talking about you know the Old Testament. Moses was born a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months. When they had to abandon him, and this this was like one of the first mass murders of children recorded in the Bible. That's actually the second one. And um, uh, this was when the Egyptian king got scared of all the Israelites. Uh, They were just multiplying all over the kingdom and they decided to kill all the baby boys. Well, Moses escaped that and, and that was, you know, the baby in the basket in the river. Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. So you, you have this Jewish child who grows up in an Egyptian home, not just an Egyptian home, but the king of Egypt. He grows up into this, this incredible place and he was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was powerful in both speech and action. One day, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. Somehow, and and it's in the story of the first 40 years of Moses' life, somehow he knew who he was. He knew that he was an Israelite being raised in the king's house. And he decides to go visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him killing the Egyptian. Now I want you to write this down because this is the first phase of life that we go through. Life lesson number one, I am something. I am something. Ushers, let's go. Uh, We've got a little treat for you. Going to have some fun here. And we should have some music. Yeah, there we go. Grab one, take it, pass it down. You're going to love it. It's Sour Patch Kids. Greatest day
1: in history. And you Death can do whatever you want. You if you want to eat some
0: of it, me, open it up while, it while the music going. gone. We don't have to listen to Jesus all the crap holes. It is very healthy.
1: Everybody got one? Shout it out. Jesus okay. Is alive. Alive. All
0: right, let me tell you about Sour Patch Kids in our family's history. One of the most fun things that we did as a family, we did it together, and and it was always a hoot, and we still do it, is we love going to movies and taking all the kids. Now, you know, they're married and they're having kids, and so the movies are getting expensive, Um, but, and it's a total waste of money. Every time we go to the movies, we all buy candy, and so... Pam always gets popcorn. She thinks it's healthy. And then she pours like a gallon of butter on the popcorn. Um, literally, she does. She handed me the popcorn bag last week and I was holding it on my lap and I got and I had a big grease stain on my pants that had gone through the bag. Um, I always get chocolate covered raisins. You've got milk in them and raisins, it's fruit. It's really good. Um, and all the kids always got Sour Patch Kids. And so the, the movie would start. Pam's eating the, the, the butter with the head popcorn in it. And I'm, I'm eating my chocolate-covered raisins. And you know what it's like in a movie. Is it takes 15 minutes to get to the movie. And so my kids are being very stingy, only eating a, you know one Sour Patch Kid at a time. And I've gobbled down the whole box of Raisinets before the movies even started. And so I used to look down the aisle, and I'd be like, Give me a piece of candy. And they would look at me like, no, it's my candy. I'm like, give me a piece of candy. And so usually it'd be the one on the very end. And they, you know, the Sour Patch Kids, they kind of come in clumps, but they would pull a worm or whatever you call them apart and then pass it down and and everybody's fingers, you know, (laughs) all the way down, including little Miss Butterfingers, and I'd get it. I'd get one piece, and I would eat it. And then I would, get me another piece of candy, and then somebody else would have to do it. And and so we had to have a discussion, because, and I was trying to just teach them some things that they forgot. And I want you to write these things down, because the same thing applies to money my kids forgot that dad provided Sour Patch Kids. I bought them. As a matter of fact, it was so bad that we were paying less for the movies than we were for the candy. It still happens. They forgot that dad didn't need them. They forgot that dad could take them. (laughs) And they forgot to give them voluntarily. Four things that I had to get them through. Now, we go to the movies. I don't even have to ask. I just look down the aisle and they just take a clump and pass it down. And they get my Sour Patch Kids. But we think it's about me. We think it's mine. We think it's for me. And ultimately, we think it makes us happy. But that's when we're living this life that says, I am something. I am it. Let's look at the next um, life lesson that Moses had to learn. Moses, verse 25, assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them. Hey, I'm here. I'm big. I'm, I'm loud. I'm your Savior. But they didn't recognize that. The next day he visited visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you're brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the, the men in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you something? Who made you a ruler and judge over us? He asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, He fled the country. Now this is serious. He fled Egypt where he was a prince because he knew now things weren't working out and he lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. Life lesson number two is this. I am nothing. I am nothing. We think we're something then something happens and now we think we're nothing. This happens just generally in life. Um, You know, if you get out of middle school, Uh, Well, first of all, if you're in the, um, what is it, eighth grade in middle school, you are something. You're not a green weenie anymore. You're so much better than than sixth graders and seventh graders. You are something. And then you go to high school, and you are nothing. You start all over. And then you get to be a senior, and you walk around like, I am something. And then you go to college, and you are nothing. (laughs) And then you get to be a senior in college, and you're like, you're walking real smart, and cool and and that lasts for about a week after graduation and then you realize you are nothing you got no job you took a major in Chinese uh, uh, sewing and you are nothing you got nothing and then you find a job and you are sure you're nothing and then after about 10 years you you finally get to use Chinese sewing in this thing that you're doing and software and and it's amazing, and you're something, and then the company goes bankrupt, and we, we just live like that. Um, I don't need to say anything more about that. Life lesson number three, Acts 7, verse 30. Forty years later, this is, this, is a, this is tough. Forty years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he went to take a closer look, the voice of the Lord called out to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses shook with terror and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groans and have come down to rescue them. Now go, for I am sending you back to Egypt. So God sent back the same man his people had previously rejected when they demanded, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? But he was not the same man. Through the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to be their ruler and savior. And by means of many wonders and miraculous signs, he led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea and through the wilderness for 40 years. Life lesson number three. It's right here. It moves from here to here. God is everything. God is everything. If you you read through the whole story of Moses in the book of Exodus. You get to 30, chapter 32, and man, Moses has done his best to lead the people, and they're turning their backs on him and on God, and they're rebelling and everything, and God gets really angry. And, and it says that God just wanted, he, he's like, Moses, if you just step back, I'm going to wipe these people out. And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you the father of an entirely new nation. What a deal. This is like shark tank stuff. You could, you could boom. You could be the... And you know, if you read the story, Moses never became the father of a nation. That was Abraham's role. Moses said, God, no. I don't want this deal. I don't want to have all of this. I, it's not about me anymore. It is about you and it is about your people it is no longer about me what a what a move what a move on 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 moses part i was telling you about john wesley um he was making a lot of money early in his ministry and he was spending it all. He was just doing stuff. And he had a a um, young lady that came and cleaned his house for him. And it was snowing outside. And she came with a short sleeve uh, top on, and, and she she um, was freezing. And he says, "Why are you dressed like this? It's, it's it's so cold." And she goes, "I have no money for anything." And his heart broke because he had blown through so much money. And but he didn't have the money at that point to buy her anything. And he made the decision that he had been living foolishly. He had been living over here with his money. And here was an opportunity for him to be Jesus to somebody and he couldn't do it. And so he made this decision. I told you he made $30 million in the 1700s. He decided to cap his lifestyle at $42 a year and the rest of it he just gave away. It was an, it's an incredible story, and he wrote this, he goes, you know, it's not how much of my money I give to God, it's how much of God's money I keep for myself. Let me read that again because I want you to understand that this is a lie. Your money is not yours. If you're a Christ follower, you have to understand that money belongs, your money, your money that you think is your money, it belongs to God. And he says, it's not how much of my money I give to God, it's how much of God's money I keep for myself. Jesus said in Matthew six thirty-three, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. I know a lot of people who have made a lot of money and they are far from having what they need in their life. They made money their God and they've lost everything around them. Well, so how do you start making the transition? How do you get away from living the lie? And the Bible gives us a starting point. It's uh, something that we teach here all the time. And it's, it's something that I want to challenge you with today. It's a great place to start. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, Bring one-tenth of your income into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me. Jesus. God says, test me in this, says the Lord of the armies. See if I won't open the windows of heaven for you and flood you with blessing. Now, If you really understand the New Testament, you'll understand that New Testament giving is way above 10%. If you ever had, and if I ever insinuated this, and I may have said this at some point, but if you ever think that 10% is God's and the rest is yours, you're wrong. And if if I led you down that path, I was wrong. Because it all belongs to God. Every bit of it. When you start making money, tithing is tough. When you make more money, tithing gets easier because you've got more, right? But here's the reality in the American church today. The more money people make, the less they give because we are living here. Money's for me. Money's going to make me happy. It's just just the lies that we trust, and it ruins our lives. Tithing, to start tithing, is an issue of trust. Put this in your notes. It's the most difficult issue in turning things over to God. You know, when I was um, (laughs) a little older, I would still keep tabs on my dad's old wallet. And so he, he, we were in a, he was pastoring a church. The people there didn't have much money. I, I don't know if my dad ever, well, I'll just tell you this. I would count the money in the wallet. And I'd be like, man, dad got a raise. Serious. You know, and, and one time he caught me snooping. And I'm like, dad, you're making a lot of money and he's like son i haven't had a raise in 20 years and i said but look he goes i quit tithing so long ago he said it's all god's and my father was was he had extreme capability he could have, he was um vice president of the bank of virginia years and years ago the executive vice president he could he, but my dad just knew how to make money and do stuff. And, and he, didn't, he just didn't use the church's money to make his money. And, and he could just give more and more and more. And I've never forgotten that because it made me understand a lot about money and giving and, and where I was and where my heart needed to be. And I would say this, parents, your kids are watching. They watch how you live. They watch how, how you think. They they know where your heart is because they watch how you handle money. And I don't know about you, but I want to live in a way that my children and my grandchildren will say, whoa, that's different. That's not what they taught in college. That's not what we learned. I want them to see somebody who's lived differently. Um, So... Here's what I want to do, because I know that this is like foreign matter to a lot of you. This is, uh, it's, I think it's been two or three years since I've even talked about this here. And, um, but I want to, I want to give you a starting point. And I want to see God do some things in you and through you that are phenomenal. You know, everything that I'm trying to do and my my next 20 year plan for life, if I get to live that long, um, is that uh, Greenway, the place where the barn blew apart, um, it's God's. And I wanna figure out how we as a church can be there in the middle of so many people who don't know God And it's not going to be a church building folks it's going to be a great place for us to meet but it's going to be a place where our community is and we're going to be in the middle and i would just love for us to figure out how to do this so the church can use all of our money to take care of our wonderful staff and to bless our community and reach people for jesus the idea of us building a big building for our church I can tell you, as long as I'm around, that's not going to be part of our DNA because we, people's lives are more important than buildings. And, but I need you to understand what it means for God to own everything. So this, I'm, I'm giving you a 90-day giving test. And this is for those of you who have never tithed. I, you need a starting point. But I'm gonna ask all of you, every one of you in the room, to pull one of these out. And if, if you're already tithing, I just want you to write stuff on here just so other people don't feel awkward. Just write awesome sermon, pastor. Anything you want. Just, you're looking good. What, whatever you want, keep it, keep it. You can lie, just lie good, okay? Um, but here, let me read this. Malachi 3.10 says, bring one-tenth of your income into the storehouse, the place where you get your spiritual food, so that there may be food in my house. God says, test me in this. See if I won't open the windows of heaven for you and flood you with blessings. Countless people experience God's blessings when they tithe, but often the first step is the hardest to take. The 90-day giving test is a response to God's promise in Malachi 3. Now this next part is like off the charts. Here's our commitment to you. If you tithe for 90 days and God doesn't hold true to his promise, Destiny Church will refund 100% of your tithe from that three-month period of time. We'll give it back. It's a money-back guarantee, a, a contract based on God's promise in Malachi 3. I will tell you, we did this many years ago, seven, eight years ago. And I got a, an email from a lady who um, just had some challenges in her life. And she said, God didn't, He didn't give me what I needed. And we pulled all of her giving records and we sent her a check for the entire amount, sent it back. And I, then I called her and I said, look, I made the promise, we're gonna keep to it. But what we really missed here was your heart. And I'm gonna pray that God just opens your eyes and blesses you and helps you to see what's going on here. It it wasn't like, okay, you know, I, I just, somehow I didn't communicate well what I believe God would do. And so what I want you to do is if you're ready for the test, I want you to take a huge step in moving from here over to here. And it starts by tithing. I believe God gives us this this beautiful example in Scripture. Um, so our guys are gonna our band's going to sing a song here. And I just want you to fill this out. And again, I want everybody to do this just so people don't feel awkward. And, and we're not going to go through and read all of these. and you know, We're actually going to put them in, a, in an envelope, a sealed envelope. And the only reason we're keeping them is if you, you know, need your money back. But we're just going to pray over that envelope. And we're just going to pray that God would change your life and, and, and help you to move to where Jesus is at the center of money. Because if you get your money there, your heart is going to follow after. It's it's, it's, just, it's energy. God energy. So, think about this. Pray about this. Fill out the card as these guys are singing. And I'll be back in just a second. Well,
1: Heaven spun, created. His pride and adoration, treasures woven by His love. His careful hands, they hold us, safe within His promise of calling and of death. Singer. all you've done
0: in the offering but I want to talk to a select group of folks right now those of you who uh, maybe what I've talked about today and this whole idea of moving from me in the center of our lives to Jesus you don't really understand that because you haven't taken the first step for that as well and that is just the declaration that you're going to give your life to Jesus Christ that you're going to say yes to jesus that you've been everything's been built around this it's been built around everything relies on you purpose why are you on the earth your destiny where are you going your 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 shame your guilt and and your future and your relationships and and and, and, i mean money is just one little part of of everything and right now everything is dependent upon you And I want to tell you something, you were never designed to be that person. You were never designed to have to carry all of that. Jesus, and I'm not talking about religion, Jesus gave his life and he did it all so that he could carry you. He could be your purpose, your destiny, your future, that you could make a difference in the world, that, that you wouldn't have to carry and deal with all your shame and all your guilt.